push those constraints to increase creativity. At the same time as you do that, you, um, you don't let yourself have a poverty mentality. Instead, what you do is you say, as those constraints produce creative results, we are gonna not only trust God, but we are going to trust our organization for the resources to move them forward. Welcome to the Ministry at Scale podcast. I'm your host, Chad Williams. Join us as we discuss trends, learn from experts, and share practical tips to help your ministry multiply its digital impact. Welcome to the Ministry at Scale podcast. I'm your host, Chad Williams. Today, I'm really excited to have my friend, John Hurst, joining us. John is the Director of Program Innovation at the International Mission Agency, SIL. He's also the author of several books on innovation and fundraising. In addition, he's the co-founder of the website generousmind.com. So welcome, John. We're great to, great to have you with us today. So good to be with you, Chad. Thanks for having me on. You, you know, I remember, I, I still remember the first time I met you. It was at a conference. And I don't know what your memory is, but but I remember walking. I was working for a ministry. You were running your own consulting agency. I walked into it was like a computer lab. So there was a lot of a lot of computers set up, and uh, I mean, again, this was over 15 years ago, uh, so I don't even know what those computers looked like. But I walked in there, and I remember there's this this really highly energetic guy bouncing around the room, interacting with everybody who was there. He was looking over their shoulders. He was really encouraging. I remember he was guiding and ideating with each of us in the room. Uh, I don't know if that's what your recollection was, but I, I just remember that at one of the conferences. And that was a lot of years ago. So, so how long have you actually been working in the digital and ministry space? Yeah, that's, that's a great memory. You know, I don't remember that part. The first thing I remember was actually having dinner with you at that conference, probably following the event you're remembering. So it's, it's funny hmm. how memories aren't quite a aren't always the same but i definitely remember meeting at that conference and uh it's been fun to be a friend and co-worker with you over the years since um well you know i think um i graduated from college from judson university in 1998 and really launched immediately into internet ministry from there uh with an organization that used to be called book of hope now it's called one hope doing kind of some of the really early um internet evangelism for teenagers and so really, um, for, for a, it was a, a really unique situation where God kind of, uh, we launched us into ministry um, using the internet kind of as our very first job. And we had gone to school for um, writing, for communications. And I had a sociology minor. I thought I might work at a magazine. But um, when we got this role, my wife, Mindy, and I, um, this organization surrounded us with a board of people from EDS and Hobby Lobby and Intel. And so from like day one, imagine these two young kids just out of college, no experience, but surrounded by these professionals that have been doing this stuff for years. And so we kind of just dived in kind of into the deep end right away. And it's kind of been a roller coaster ever since. Yeah, I think that is pretty incredible that one of your first experiences with the digital space was actually using digital from an evangelism evangelism space. I know today as the internet has matured, 
so much, so many organizations and ministries, when they think of digital, they think of marketing or fundraising or those different aspects. And that's one of my passions is helping ministries not lose the wonder of how ministry can happen in a digital space. And uh, so, so that, that, that's awesome. Can you just walk us through what your work history has been like to, to bring us to the point to today, you're actually the director of, of innovation, a program innovation at an international, international ministry. Yeah, well, it's kind of a, a, an interesting and kind of windy journey because innovation is, is a windy, ambiguous and unpredictable path, right? You don't kind of know where you're going to end up when you start. I think that's one of the characteristics of, of being an innovator and being involved in innovation. You have to be willing to start on the journey without knowing where you're going to end up. Um, but so that's definitely where our what our career was like. We we started out doing internet evangelism with young people, and that was just amazing. You know, we're in chat rooms with kids in Russia and Romania and Peru and the Philippines, and and so that was a very exciting time. As you all remember, that was before the dot com bubble burst, and so it was a time when you know it was everything was new and and everything was uh, possible, and we built up quite a big team. But when the bubble burst, uh, so did a lot of our funding, as uh, many people experienced. And so what ended up happening was, um, was I got spun off as a consulting firm. And that's, Chad, when you and I met. Mm-hmm. Uh, went from working at One Hope to running a digital consulting firm, mostly helping mission agencies to innovate and essentially in the digital space. So mm-hmm. we did a lot of e-learning. We did a lot of... Um, of kind of digitization of the scriptures, digitization of content, um, bringing old legacy journals and and resources online. And so it was a lot of that kind of stuff that we were involved in. If you remember Palm Pilots, we were doing Palm Pilot discipleship materials. Oh, yeah. Sounds a little crazy uh, in the days of smartphones, but uh, back then. I, I think I still have my Palm Trio that I keep in the closet and pull out from time to time for my kids yep. to say, yes, this is what, this is what we, this was a really advanced phone back in the day. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I know I have a Palm Pilot in my closet as well. Uh, one of those uh, legacy tech pieces, but, but it was a wonderful tool for discipleship, especially as it integrated with people's calendars and people were just starting to integrate digital into their weekly planning and all those sorts of things. It was a great opportunity. Um, and uh, God gave us many opportunities um, while working um, with that firm to, um, to come alongside ministries. And, and I began to see um, the potential of innovation to really have an impact on how mission agencies and ministries and nonprofits were able to accomplish more. So that was kind of the birthing of that, you know, the, that vision for me. And during that time, um, my mentor was a um, was the editor of what used to be called, or what was, what is still called Evangelical Missions Quarterly, and what used to be called uh, World Pulse magazines. And uh, he and I worked together to edit a book called Innovation and Mission um, that InterVarsity Press still has available. Uh, the technology and the, and the case studies that are in that book are very old now, because it was back in 2005, but, but they're great milestones historically of, of early innovations in, late, in the late 20th century, early 21st century, happening in, in ministry. And so from there, um, once we, we had to close that um, entity down, uh, and from there I went to work at a mission agency as director of communications. I, I 
agency called HCJB, one of the very first Christian radio stations globally, um, 1932, an innovator um, in that field for sure. And, and that started what ended up being kind of a pattern in my career, which was working for these very, tended to be technical and very innovative missions organizations that were now older and were trying to reinvent themselves. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up having a lot of experience in those sorts of things. And so um, from there, I won't go into all the details, but it was quite a few organizations, startups, turnarounds. And uh, what happened most recently was um, in after one of my turnarounds, I took a sabbatical and was really praying, God, what do you want me to focus on? And I'd always been doing innovation on the edges of my role. And I realized that this was a moment that nonprofit world really needed some people to really focus full-time on innovation in the nonprofit space. And so I prayed that God would provide a full-time innovation role. Hmm. And uh, he did that, which was a, a, a real blessing, a real encouragement to me. And then um, through Generous Mind, which is my own company, I run innovationandmission.com and kingdominnovation.info, where we're doing a lot of just sharing innovation content hmm. for nonprofit leaders. And so trying to be a thought leader and, and speak into that space more broadly, as well as actually do it day to day so that I'm learning uh, in the, you know, in the, in the trenches about how to do innovation in a large organization. Oh, that's, that's great. So, so, so I don't know that there's too many of our listeners that have a title or even have a title in their organization called the director of program innovation, which I love it. I love it. But, but John, what exactly do you do as the, a, a director of innovation inside an a legacy ministry. Yeah. So for, for those of you who don't know, um, SIL um, is the organization that is the technical organization that would sit behind the organization you were more likely to know, which is Wycliffe Bible Translators. So SIL is 4,500 linguists and techies and program managers who are running these very complex language programs around the world. And so we have a division of about 10 to 15 people that do innovation work. And we really do three things. Um, and I'm involved in, in some capacity or another in all three. One of them is we actually stand up new programs. And that's one of the things I was brought in to do, actually roll out new programs that you have to go through the process of ideation, right? You have to go through the process of design, prototyping, scaling, and then releasing into the organization. So I'm involved in that kind of work, which is really fun to, be able to stand up a brand new program. Uh, the other kind of work we do is we do a lot of mentoring and coaching of grassroots innovators. So we have staff around the world who have great ideas, but they don't always know because it wasn't really their training what to do with their idea, right? And so we do a lot of coaching, we do webinars, we, do, um, we have courses, we do book clubs, all kinds mm -hmm. of stuff to, to build out that innovation skill set in our staff. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing that we do is um, because SIL is an 84 year old organization, it, it has a lot of complex and very large systems and very uh, complex infrastructure. And so we consult organizationally in the design and rethinking of that infrastructure hmm. so that innovation can be built into the culture rather than only uh, an idea that kind of sits on the periphery. Mm -hmm. well, that's, that's amazing to think that an 84 year old organization is forward thinking enough to actually want to infuse innovation as a part of uh, as a part of what they do on a day to day basis. 
Yeah. So, so talk, talk through us, just walk us through maybe a sample program that, of that first category that you talked about where you've, you've taken an idea and then walk through those just phases and just, just walk us through an example of that. Sure. Sure. Well, um, well I'll do one that, uh, that I'm involved in um, yeah. as an example. So, so one of the spaces that SIL works in, obviously we work in Bible translation. That's a huge part of what we do. But as you know, if uh, no one's there to read the Bible, the Bible is not as valuable uh, to that community. So we do a lot in the area of literacy. And we do a lot in the area of children's literacy and collaborating with governments and denominations and schools to build in literacy of local languages. Because of course, if the children are learning to read in that language, then they will then be able to have full access and benefit from that scripture. And so um, uh, one of the things that I'm working on is a childhood literacy program that's tied to relevant social issues. So for instance, we do a lot of this work with children's literacy uh, in schools and after school programs and in churches and all kinds of settings. Um, but a lot of times that literacy is more general, right? It's, and they'll be reading, they'll be learning to read like a local folklore, you know, stories, Bible stories, you know, stories written by, um, by uh, a variety of local authors, but it could be very general. Uh, so one of the things we're wanting to do is help children learn about relevant issues in their community. And so um, while they learn to read, so, and then helping donors fund those. So for instance, a donor, let's say they're really passionate about clean water and there's a certain uh, language community that's wanting to teach their kids to read while they study the importance of water and sanitation, clean mm -hmm. water, managing their well, all those things. So we're bringing those two things together into a fun little program where donors can get involved, the kids are getting involved in doing projects, the families and the teachers and the communities are getting involved. It's just kind of a really fun way to integrate those things together. And so what we had to do first was we had to, number one, come up with the idea, the ideation phase, right? And so we're wrestling with our literacy folks and our innovation staff and outside consultants. And, and we're, we're kind of building up what the idea is. And then you have to move to the design phase. And for the design phase, we had to get our other literacy staff involved in saying, okay, so how do you do a good literacy program? Because I'm not a literacy expert, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so I had to ask for input and build on all the skills within the organization, which was so rich, right? Mm -hmm. All the literacy staff with all the knowledge they have. And then we had to build a prototype and go out and test it, not only in the field, which we did in Kenya, but we had to test the donor side, right? So we're delivering... Sure the donor um, marketing Google, you know, Google ads and Facebook ads and mm. test little web micro websites. And then, you know, surveying donors and saying, did this approach appeal to you? Do you understand it? What don't you get? What do you get? And so that's uh, kind of the process that we're now in. And we just finished that phase and we're now moving to the pilot phase where we do a bigger version in two countries over a, an entire year. That's, 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 that's really, really incredible to just to think about how you're taking something inside an organization. It's almost pre-evangelism. You're, you're plowing the ground for folks to be able to re receive God's word. Um, how, how long has it taken you to get to this point from the ide ideation phase to the point to where you're at today, um, ready to, to launch it to two different countries? You know, this is a great example of uh, the curvy road of innovation and the challenges you face. Not not uh, not unexpected, but never you never know what they're going to be. 
it's yeah. really been um, almost two years. Two years, yeah. Uh, even and and it can even take longer than that because um, you you can run into challenges of maybe you don't have what we call product market fit. Maybe you have a cool idea, yeah. but no one cares, right? Yeah. And you got to go back and go, okay, yeah, we didn't get it quite right. Let's tweak it and try again. Or you may run into challenges internally where you're struggling to figure out, you know, what form should this program take and, and what are the elements? And, and there's a lot of internal discussions that need to happen. So it's been a long journey just to even get to this point. And, and yeah. uh, to get to the point of scaling it probably is another two or three years. So it's sure. uh, not for the uh, faint of heart to go yeah. through the process for sure. Yeah. How, when, just in, in general, when a, you have an idea, you prototype it, and like what you said, it's a curvy road. And so sometimes the right thing to do is to tweak what you've got, to change it, modify it, to better fit the, the input that you're getting. Other times, like what you said, is if there's not a, an actual product market fit, then sometimes you have to scrap it. Sometimes that can be the hardest decision to make. What are some, some tools or some thinking processes that you use to help navigate some of those some of those tricky waters. Yeah, no, that's a great question, and I think um, it all comes back to empathy with our customer, with our audience. Mm. You know, sometimes we don't like to use the customer words. You can talk about it as your audience or your stakeholders or yeah. beneficiaries, but that empathy, that closeness to the customer, is really what's key here. So, if you've iterated several times. Um, and and your customer is simply just saying, I'm not interested, hmm. um, then then you have a pretty good sense that no, this is not, we're not, we are not um, meeting a felt need. We're not connecting with them in a way that they'll respond. And so the closer you are to the customer, the easier it is to know that, but it doesn't make it any easier for you sure. to let go of your baby, right? Um, yeah. And I think that the key yeah. thing there is a, um, and and in a, in a Christian context, like we're in, in a ministry context, to be able to hold your idea very loosely hmm. and to really ask God to, um, to steward that idea um, you know, with you as the one doing that in, in such a way that if, if you realize there isn't a fit um, because, because you're all, you've already entrusted it to God, you have, um, you're in a mindset where you can let go of it easier because you can say, you know, hmm. Um, this idea was never mine anyway. This was God's idea. He's the one that mm -hmm. gave me the ideas. He's the one that brought this group together, you know, gave us the, mm -hmm. the fresh thinking that, uh, that, that, that we were excited about. And, and that allows you to get a little distance from your idea. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing mm -hmm. that really helps is when you have an advisory board or some sort of external group around you. One of the things I did in my project is set up an advisory board of people you know, to poke, poke holes at your idea from the outside mm -hmm. and say, hey, why are you doing that? Or you should try this, or I don't think this is working. Mm -hmm. um, and be real honest with you. I think a group like that, that you respect will help you from getting too close to your idea. Mm -hmm. um, and I think finally, um, you know, this idea of failure, we hear a lot about it, you know, in conferences, be ready to fail, you know, fail forward, fail fast, fail forward, fail fast, fail fast. forward. And, yep, yep. And, and I, I think that there's a, a, a growing understanding, even though in the past in the ministry world, that failure was seen almost as a sign of weakness or as a sign of failure in your, in your faith and your obedience to the mm -hmm. Lord. 
uh, we're, we're realizing that, that there's some, that that doesn't necessarily have to be true, right? So mm-hmm. I think we're good there. But the other thing I would say is sometimes when an idea doesn't work, it's because we didn't execute it well. <laughs> um, so then it's not the idea's problem. Mm-hmm. It's, it's our problem. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really hard to admit that, right? So mm-hmm. some of my ideas, I, I, I need to look back and go, you know what? It's actually a great idea. The customer is actually really interested, but I did a bad job. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I have to be able to admit that and go, okay, so how do I try again and fix the problems that I had? Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I realize, no, it wasn't me. You know, this is just, this idea just doesn't have any legs. It's not going to go anywhere. And so yeah. putting in some of those checks in your spirit that allow you to uh, kind of test your idea against some of those things can help you to uh, make that decision. Really what you're talking about is learning something I tell my kids and my staff is to, to learn to hold things with an open hand. Yeah. Because if, right. if God says, no, this isn't the right idea or no, and he tries to, as he takes it away from you, if you're holding on to it too tightly, it can really hurt if he has to pry your fingers open. And uh, just, so just learning to hold things with an open hand is, is, is really what I hear you, hear you saying. Well put. Well put. And I love that you're talking about the concept of failure uh, because it, sometimes we, 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 we don't think about it, whether we're too, thinking too much about what other people will perceive us. I, I know for myself, there's two, two resources. One, when I was in high school, I read the book um, by Dr. Erwin Lutzer called Failure, The Backdoor to Success. Yeah. And that really shaped the way that I approach failure. And in fact, I have a whole thing that I share with our onboarding with new staff, that just about how do we approach failure at 5Q. And uh, um, yeah, another, another book, and I'm probably going to butcher the, the name of it because I can't remember the name of it, but I'm almost done reading right now. It's, it's on the concept of psychological safety in the workforce. It's a non-Christian book. But they, they talk about the importance of setting the right expectations around failure. And uh, even if your title isn't innovation, no matter what your title is, no matter what your role is, having the proper mindset, like what you just described about failure, is, is really key with, with any role a person is in. You know, as I talk to a lot of ministries, Chad, um, um, I think there's a difference between the rhetoric and the action in the sense that mm. we're We've socialized that this concept of failing forward, failing fast, um, not not uh, not making your identity attached to whether your idea works or not, right? Um, but then, in practice, because we are um, resource constrained, um, we we still do not live it out very well. Mm-hmm. Because even if I say fail fast, fail quick, fail forward, all that. If, if I've only given you $5,000 to do all that failing, you're going to feel a pressure that is really, really hard to manage, right? Because you don't have a lot of resources to work with. So if you fail three times and each time was 1500 bucks, well, you know, you're almost up, right? And yeah. so there's, there's a lot of resource constraining um, poverty mentality that also fits into this uh, failing failure discussion that puts mm-hmm. a lot of pressure on people that I think isn't very healthy because um, mm-hmm. it keeps them from dreaming and, and, and uh, kind of looking at the bigger picture. So you just talked about a really important topic and that is how do constraints and innovation 
how, how do they go together? Because every organization at a certain level has constraints. And so yeah. how, how should one be thinking about that? No, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so I just read an article by Greg Sattel on creativity and constraints. You can Google his name. He goes under Digital Tonto. That's his, uh, hmm. his uh, Twitter handle and everything. But he's a great thought leader on innovation. But one of the things he says, which is absolutely true, is if you had the unlimited budget, you would actually be less creative because yeah. constraints increase yeah. the potential to try to overcome barriers and be creative. Yeah. And that's absolutely true. At the other side, um, if you have a poverty mentality, um, so if you um, are defined by your constraints, that is also a huge problem mm -hmm. because you essentially say no to things you should say yes to. So I think what the challenge we have to deal with is what we call polarity management, right? Where it's not one or the other, it's not either or, it's both and, and you are managing this polarity of things that you have to hold both of them in intention and one is you have constraints that are healthy mm -hmm. and you push those constraints to increase creativity at the mm -hmm. same time as you do that you um you don't let yourself have a poverty mentality instead what you do is you say as those constraints produce creative results we are going to not only trust god but we're going to trust our organization for the resources to move them forward. Um, and so the organization has to be designed, designed not only to put some constraints around people that, that help them to be creative, but when things show promise, you then need to not limit mm -hmm. those, but then mm -hmm. say, okay, now we're going to apply resources. Mm -hmm. Because um, if you think about stage gating, you know, you know, if, if something is showing promise, you open up the next gate and you say, okay, now we're going to give you more resources because you've proven that there's something here. And so it's a mix of these two things together, I think, that make for the dynamic tension to produce good results. That's probably the best description of that tension that I've heard. That's uh, super, super helpful. Uh, so many creatives, especially early in their careers that I talk with, they're like, they're like they really push against any kind of constraints without realizing that the constraints are actually helpful. Constraints are what actually produces some of the best creative work that, uh, that, that, that we can do. And uh, um, yeah, that, that's really helpful for our listeners. And, and the things that you mentioned, we'll include those in the show notes. So if you're listening to this while you're driving, you know, we'll, uh, when you get to where you're going, just look up our show notes and you can, you can click to the links that, that we talk about here. Uh, what, uh, you know, on the innovation front, and I know your role now covers bigger than just, just, uh, just, just digital side, but what are some of the trends that you're seeing, and this could, this could be in any space, but what are some of the trends that you're seeing that ministries especially should be preparing for as they think about the future? Yeah, no, it's a, it's an interesting time, isn't it? Um, I do an annual trends report for uh, my organization, and last year's got blown out of the water about a week or two after it was released. <laughs> but you know, when what, one of the things I realized, let me t tell you one thing about trends that I think is important for your listeners to think about, Chad, and and I think is it would, might be helpful for you at Five Q as well. Is that what I've noticed, and and I've seen several authors writing about this, is that when you have a dramatic and kind of um, you know global altering event, you know three things potentially happen to trends. One is that they are accelerated, and we've seen that in, in multiple yeah. places. 
Another is that they are stalled. And another is that they actually decrease or they actually um, fade away and become essentially stop being a trend, right? So um, if we think about the trends that we were watching in at the end of 2019, um, we, we've seen this uh, acceleration, stalling or fading. Mm -hmm. um, and now that we're coming out into 2021, we're, we're seeing new trends that are building on, you know, especially on those accelerations, right? So, you know, a great give example. Us, give us, yeah, go ahead. Give us some examples of, of what you're yeah. talking about there. Yeah, so, so some examples are, um, I'm, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay away from the really, you know, the basic ones that everyone talks about. I do a few that are a little, a little more obscure, but really important. So an example yeah. is um, this last SpaceX rocket that took off set the Guinness Book of World Records for launching the most satellites with one rocket. And what are those satellites doing? Those are low orbit satellites that are creating the net that's gonna provide internet access, especially rurally mm -hmm. in the US and around the world. Mm -hmm. And China has its own system that it's putting up called Banadu, I think. And uh, Russia, I believe is working on one as well. These are competing internet, low orbit satellite networks. Um, that trend stalled during the pandemic because governments were trying to figure out how to keep the government running. Mm -hmm. um, but they are now um, back um, moving again. And what we're going to see is we're going to see much higher bandwidth internet in mm -hmm. places that were more limited. So um, when you think on the donor side of technology, imagine a lot of our donors are, are in more rural areas and have had more limited um, capabilities, mm -hmm. you know, um, the level of internet access and the and just the pervasiveness of it is just going to increase. And then on the field side of what we do around the world, especially if you're in, if you're in an international organization, the access to internet um, capability for the you know for the the next half of the world is going to in the next year or two going to dramatically increase. Hmm. I think on the next front I'd like to talk about is not so much Zoom because everyone knows about the Zoom trend and our virtual meetings and our little boxes we live in, mm -hmm. but the hybrid between physical and digital. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're probably never gonna go back to the same kind of physical events that we had before at the scale we had them before. What's happening is these really creative hybrids. So like you, for conferences, you'll get these experience boxes, right? And you get a box ahead of attending. And as the speaker's up front, he says to all the Zoom people out there in the, and at the conference, pull out this thing from your box. Hmm. And it's a physical experience tied to a virtual experience. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to see these proliferate. And I think mm -hmm. ministries need to really pay attention because there's lots of opportunities for ministries to create these hybrid physical and virtual events mm -hmm. that will replace many of our events that we've lost, you know, in the last year, especially fundraising events. So I think that's, that's one, that's another one that I think is really a critical one to watch. Um, I would say um, maybe one more trend. So, so I just gotta, I just gotta ask you. This is a little bit of an yeah. aside. I don't okay. know if you experience this, but the conferences that we usually attend in this year, in February, March, and April, they all got moved to June. And so okay. <laughs> everyone's doing the kick it down the kick, kick the it down the road, and is June far enough down the road? Who knows? But our June is just just packed with conferences, and so mm -hmm. I, 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 you're, you're, we're, we're the, the rise that we saw in the virtual conference. We know that's not going going away. I think at right. the end of this, we're going to have people just hungering for an in person experience. 
And uh, I, I love what you're talking about, about the, 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 the hybrid event. We're planning a conference in October, a virtual a, a digital ministry conference. And uh, my mind is already thinking about, well, how can we actually take some of this, what you're just talking about and apply that? So people, even if it's a hundred percent virtual, people sign up ahead of time. We send them a box or, or different things and we can uh, have the speakers pull out different things during the, during that time. So, yeah, I think that's a, that's a great idea that uh, hopefully our listeners can take and apply in the next coming months. So yeah. go ahead, give us another example. Yeah, no, I think um, I think maybe a, another thing to consider a, as a trend is um, is is how we're using mobile. Um, you know, mobile is of course a, such a huge part of our life, right? And it's uh, and it's pervasive. And, you know, we look at the percentages of gifts that are given online now. You know, uh, you know, obviously is huge, and and the percentage of engagement we're getting online. Um, but mobile is is kind of the reverse of what I just talked about. So, so when we when we think about um, physical events now having to be hybrids, we think about things that were mobile and how they then come into our real world. Mm -hmm. I think um, you know when we think about Pokemon Go and games that were that had these virtual and real elements that mm -hmm. were integrated into the virtual. When we think about VR that never has really taken off the way that some people thought it would two years ago, you know, um, these are all indicators of something that people want. Mm -hmm. So not only do they want to, um, to have the physical integrate the digital, mm -hmm. but I think they also want to have the digital integrate the physical. Mm -hmm. um, and I think these, the amount of innovation opportunities there are in these integrations is mm -hmm. just huge. Mm -hmm. Because we, we're physical beings. We want to be with others. Right. We want to be in community. But we now have the world at our fingertips. And we don't want to give that up either. Yeah. And so the ability to bring these two things together, in my mind, you know, starting from one, going to the other, and starting from the other and going back. Um, in my mind, those, those things produce some of the greatest opportunities for innovation that we're going to see in the next few years. I'm still waiting for the point where uh, they'll you'll you'll have like my mouse pad right now, where I'll actually be able to scratch. You know, remember the scratch and sniff? Oh yeah. Thing. So so there'll be a picture of a banana on the screen, and all of a sudden I'll start smelling banana. I'm still waiting for that day. I don't know if uh, if that's coming close or not, but uh, yeah. uh, that it's I, you know it's hard to it, it's hard to um, one of the things about innovation is is we have this idea in our head of what the future might look like, um, you know, and, and it, we pull it from reality. We pull it from sci-fi. We pull it from all kinds of places. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the things that I've realized, you know, I, I remember reading a story about exactly what you talked about in business 2.0 magazine back in the early two thousands. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and there's this, there's this reality that there, that for, for reasons that we can't always understand, sometimes certain areas of innovation just take off and explode. Yeah. And other things that were like, well, that's a no brainer yeah. and it never takes off. And it's a mixture of, you know, the market need, it's a mixture mm -hmm. of the technology. It's a mixture of, you know, the friction with the delivery. Is it, is it easy to use, but all these things come together and that's what makes it such a dance to figure out, you know, what's really going to get buy-in and what's going to just remain a cool sci-fi idea. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And especially for ministries that aren't based in like the businesses in Silicon Valley, 
And uh, right. when you're constantly trying to think about what is the right next thing and still being a good steward of the donor dollars that, that, uh, that we, that we have given to us. I, I know, I don't know. I, I often get asked, well, well, Chad, how do we know when we should adopt a new technology or not? Cause not every organization has the benefit of having a director of innovation in their, on their staff for their trying new things. And I, when I was working inside of a ministry, I, I kind of came up with what I call the 10% rule. Mm. So when, when a technology hits 10% of your audience, then that's the point where it's worthwhile. You should really be looking at investing into that technology. And flip side, if, if a technology is of your audience has dropped, so it's less than 10% is, sometimes we feel like we have to hang on to these things, these legacy things that right, right. Short, short, like, like shortwave radio or something. But you know, if less than 10% of your audience is using it, then it's, it may not be the best use of resources to, to continue to support that. And uh, um, yeah, I think all those things come into play when you're working inside of a, of a ministry context like that. You know, the other thought I have, Chad, on that, because that's a great point. I love that rule. It's little rules like that can be super helpful when you're in ambiguous situations, right? Because yeah, yeah. you don't always have a lot of other indicators to go on. I think the other thing that, that I've encouraged executives in nonprofits and practitioners in nonprofits to do is be really willing to run very small experiments. So yeah. um, we're, we're considering a, a new technology, a new... Uh, external service for SIL um, this month. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've met with a vendor and we kind of understand how it works. And, you know, we've gone through the due diligence. We've talked to some customers and all that. Um, but it's a new thing for us. We've never used something like that. And so rather than say, okay, we're going to full scale adopt it. What we said is, okay, we're going to run one thing through that. We're going to set up an account and run one thing. Mm -hmm. And if, if, if we see promise, you know, then we'll move to the next level. But I think a lot of times ministries think if I'm going to adopt it, I have to go all in. Yeah. yeah. And it can be really good just to try very small experiments, very short cycle, very measurable. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, this learning how to test new ideas in a way that uh, you can. I, I think another important part about that is that you upfront, you, you ask yourself, okay, what is success going to look like for this? Mm. So that if, you know, if this is achieved, then, Hey, yeah, we, let's take the next step and start rolling it out. But if it isn't, then we can go back to the drawing board and say, okay, did we have the wrong metrics or what were the wrong about our expectations? And uh, I think a lot of ministries fall into the trap of not testing and those that do test, they, they don't have a clear picture and everybody on the team has a clear picture of what success looks like to, to know what the next step looks like. Um, yeah, and one thing I would encourage along those lines is you're absolutely right on the having clear metrics is so critical. Um, but one of the mistakes I've seen a lot of organizations make is they put especially financial metrics on mm -hmm. their experimentation way too early. In the yeah. early days, your metrics should be what you're learning. So it should be certain learnings you're getting, not meeting numbers, right? And we talk about that a lot in our team. You know, in the early days, you're not trying to hit a certain number, you know, like if, it, if this doesn't make $20,000 then it was a failure, right? That sort of thing. Yeah. What you're doing is saying, what I wanna measure what I'm learning. If I get valuable learning that yeah. is concrete and allows me to take the next action, yeah. then that can be a success metric. Yeah. Or an innovation project. Yeah, that's 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 fantastic. Yeah, 
So, so you, I, I, I really like how in the example that you gave, that you tied the innovation for how are we reaching the audience, but you also tied it to the fundraising piece. Like how, how are we, we going to support this, fund this long-term? And so you almost have two different audiences, two different stakeholders that you're testing as you're, you're working through. And just, just thinking about the fundraising piece, one of the things that we do at 5Q is help organizations with their digital presence. And uh, you know, sometimes they do measure success by how much dollars is coming through a website or through their digital efforts, how much ministry is happening. Uh, it could be lots of different ways, how many volunteers they have signing up. Um, and so we've developed what we call the five multipliers of digital impact. And you can think about those as five levers that you can take and adjust kind of using the, the power of one. If you improve each one of those by 1%, mm-hmm. your bottom line of whatever you, whatever you call success is going to improve. So like our, our five multipliers that we encourage interna- organizations to think about is awareness. That's getting, maybe getting new traffic, getting new subscribers, getting new likes engagement that's happening, uh, conversion rates, how are they converting to whatever you're defining success? What's that conversion rate? Uh, what's the average value? And then retention. So awareness, engagement, conversion rates, average value and retention. So, so and it's not exactly like a funnel, but there's funnel pieces to it. But as, as you think about the areas of digital that you've been engaged with over the years, or even now at SIL, where do you find yourself giving the most attention on, on, on that different spectrum? Yeah, no, it, it, I love those five principles. That's great and easy to remember. And like you said, if you increase each just a little bit, it can make such a huge difference. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I think where we spend all of our time typically in the nonprofit world is the front end, right? The front end of that. And, and what we don't realize is that most of that money is wasted if the back end isn't in place, right? I, I think where where I've tended to invest a lot of our time is in the engagement piece in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, um, engagement leading to conversion, because because the 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 conversion the cost per conversion is so expensive nowadays mm-hmm. that and the and the quality of who is converting is so um, diverse. It's so all over the map because people are coming in from all these different channels, all different levels of understanding mm-hmm. of your cause, what you do, that, that engagement piece is almost like an equalizer. Mm-hmm. You're, you're level setting the expectation in the relationship. Here's the kind of relationship we wanna have with you. We want it to be transformational. We want yeah. you to grow, us to grow, us to be learning and talking together. Here's who we really are. Before you get involved, really know who we are. Don't just give, because Uncle Joe said to give, right? And that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And so I think that engagement layer in my mind, um, is is the hardest to get right, mm-hmm. and but if it's in place correctly, it maximizes the value of the front end, mm-hmm. um, and it makes more possible the long term retention on the back end. Mm-hmm. Wow, that that is really powerful. Uh, is so I, I hope if you're a ministry leader listening to that, is thinking about how you are engaging with your folks on a regular basis. And that, I mean, that can happen in the digital way through email, social media, regular mail, uh, but it's not always just asking for the money, asking, doing the ask. It's, a, it's about informing, inspiring, engaging, all those different things, personalizing your experience for folks. Um, 
I, I love how you keyed in on that because that, that amplifies both ends of that, of that. Right. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. It also makes every dollar that you spend more yeah. valuable, more, it yeah. work, makes every dollar work harder for you yeah. rather than diminishing the value of each of those dollars. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. John, this has been some great information, really innovative information for, for myself and for our listeners to, to think about and to go back and apply to, to their ministry context. So thanks, thanks so much for, for joining us. And, great to be with you. And as, as, as regular listeners know, one of the questions I like to ask at, at the end of every conversation is just what is one book or resource or um, uh, blog, podcast that you have been impacted by recently that you can share that would be helpful for our listeners? It's a great question. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, nice that you ask about, you know, recently, because, uh, you know, it, it changes, you know, you know, as you go through your day and your week and your month and your year. But you know what, the one I've read most recently that has just really blown me away is Carrie Newhall's uh, book, Didn't See It Coming. Hmm. Um, and it's not an innovation book. It's, it's not a business book. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a pastor, he trained as a lawyer as well in Canada, is a mm -hmm. thought leader in a and a, um, he's got his own podcast and all that. But what I love about it is he goes through seven things that in kind of middle of his life, he didn't mm -hmm. see coming that really could have derailed him or did derail him in some cases. And he walks through each one in such a way that you can look at your own life, whether you're just starting your career and you're kind of, you know, you're about to make some of those kinds of, uh, of mistakes or, issue, or, or deal with those issues, whether you're midlife and you're like, wow, you know, I, I wasn't paying attention to that at all. Or maybe later on and you're like, yeah, I, I really had to wrestle with that. It's just a really good, quick assessment of kind of where you are and, hmm. and potential stumbling blocks that could keep you from being the ministry leader that God wants you to be. That is, that's great. I uh, look forward to, to looking that resource up myself. So uh, yeah, I can even think of Several of the didn't see that coming in, in my life. That's right. <laughs> have, have we all have those examples. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's, that's great. Uh, John, how can people get a hold of you, contact you, you and Gen at Generous Mind and, or SIL, if they have more questions or want to pick your brain on, on anything? What's the for, best way for folks to contact you and your, and your website? Yeah, so, so um, if you want to hear more about SIL, it's simply SIL.org. And you can find out all about what God's doing through ministry to language communities around the world. Um, if you want to connect with some of my innovation content, uh, the best thing to do is go to innovationinmission.com. And then there's links all throughout that to other things, lots of videos and resources. Um, on social media, um, the ones I'm most active on uh, in a real public way are LinkedIn and Twitter. And so you can look me up on LinkedIn or Twitter and happy to interact and connect, always interacting with people in those spaces. So those would be the best ways to, to connect. Great. So folks, I hope you take a moment and, and reach out to John. Uh, the, even the title of his organization, Generous Mind, really shares what his heart is. And that's sharing and not just sharing what he's learned, but sharing what others and, and learning from what others share as well. So, John, again, thanks so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Great to be with you, Chad.